I'd like to begin this morning with two actual questions for you to answer. Don't think too hard. If you're comfortable, just say your answers. Let's crowdsource here for a minute. What helps you feel connected to other people? Food? Talking. Okay. Maybe time together? Proximity? What makes you feel disconnected from other people? Silence. <laughs> Maybe distance. Maybe some of you at home feel disconnected from distance. What was that? Conflict. Mm -hmm. Connection, which is something we are made for. It's about sharing either something between us or sharing in something, being and feeling part of something together belonging. Philippians, which we're going to look at this morning, is in many ways a book about connection. You might remember that Paul started the church in Philippi. Remember the story of Lydia? He lived there. He invested in the people while working and not taking their money. He had a job. After he left, they sent him money. They invest in his ministry. So he's writing, among other reasons, to thank them. And it's clear there's a deep connection, not just hey, I planted this church, but no, a love, a connection between Paul and this church, a big emphasis within the letter about the sort of common life that Christians are to share together. There's a mutual sharing of affection between Paul and this church, a mutual sharing of resources and gifts, and a big emphasis on the mutual sharing of life between believers in the church, that word koinonia, which we've heard before if we've been in church any period of time. Koinonia, fellowship, which isn't just let's go sit downstairs and have coffee and chat, but a true mutual sharing of life together. That sounds pretty great, right? But as usual, there are some significant barriers to connection that we see in the letter to Philippi. There's distance. Philippi's here. Paul's in prison over here in Rome. He writes the letter, who knows how long it takes to get there. There's uncertainty. Paul is waiting trial. He's in prison waiting trial. He's not sure whether at the end of that he'll be released or tortured and executed under Nero. Uncertainty. They have challenges in their context. Philippi was a Roman colony, which means it was not near Rome, but it was in a different country, but had the status of Rome there. There were a lot of veterans there who had fought for the emperor, who were loyal to Rome. There were trade guilds. To be a laborer, you had to participate in the emperor worship. So if you become a Christian and you're not willing to do that, how are you going to make money? There was opposition, sometimes loss of income, loss of family, public rejection, shame, conflict. Even the question of, if Paul loses his trial, what will happen to us? And then, of course, there's the big one, barrier to connection, sin. This is a community that was bickering and complaining, that had a push and a pull in a group of mixed statuses and experiences and opinions, a small community where everybody knew each other. So Paul's prayer for them in chapter 1, before what we have in our, in our bulletin today, is that this, in this church, their love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so they may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. 
In chapter two, Paul writes, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Blameless and pure, blameless and pure. In other words, in their bickering and their lack of love, they've shown they still have a ways to go in being pure and blameless, salt and light. Holy children of God, abounding in love. There are some books in the New Testament that are written to correct great theological errors. Philippians is not one of those. Instead, it's a book that's designed to help them nurture Christ-like connection in their life together, to urge them toward unity, not just of doctrine, but of relationship. You might say, calm unity, common unity, or communion. Remember the star word that we drew for our church? I'm going to put it up here to help us remember it. Calm union, common union. Like the church in Philippi, here at Redeemer, our errors in the past couple of years have not largely been theological. They have been relational. We, if we're honest, have not been pure and blameless in our love for one another. We have at times bickered and complained, grumbled and argued. So to us, as to the Philippians, I imagine Paul saying today, as he does in verse 27, whatever happens, which is really a word meaning only, if you get one thing, get this, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. Conduct yourselves. This is a unique word that it's the word that politics comes from. It implies something along the lines of live as a good citizen. Obviously not of Rome. Remember, Philippian context, Paul's saying, don't, no, Rome, mm-mm. As a good citizen of the kingdom. Live as a good citizen of the kingdom, according to kingdom culture and values and laws. As citizens whose life together is a worthy reflection of the good news of Jesus. Well, how do we do that? How do we conduct our lives together in a manner worthy of Jesus as good citizens of the kingdom of God? How do we do that? And how will we know when we are doing that? Sometimes we think we are. What are the signs that tell us when we are? These are the questions we're going to explore over the next four Sundays. Yes, a series. (laughs) Four weeks, four chapters. Read this book. It's short. You can read it quickly. I was tempted to throw a contest to see who could uh, read it the most number of times, but I was like, I don't think that's the point. (laughs) But read it. Even memorize it. Try it. So ask with me for the Spirit to move in our midst through Paul's words to the Philippians to us over the next four weeks. Today, we're looking at chapter one, and particularly these last few verses, 27 and on. How do we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ? It starts with standing firm on what we already share in common. What unites us for real? Not just theoretically, but for real. Where do we already share calm unity and calm union? First, let us stand firm on the foundation of our common story. This word gospel shows up a couple times in our passage. Worthy of the gospel of Christ. Faith of the gospel. What is the gospel? 
It's a word that means good news. It's the kind of news you want to shout in the streets and tell everyone about. The good news we have to share is not about us. It's a story about Jesus. It is the story we share every week at the communion table. We share that in the beginning, God made the world and made it good. And that we fell into sin and suffering and death. And that God raised up a people to be his holy people through whom the whole world would be blessed. And that that people too fell into sin and suffering and death, cycle after cycle after cycle. But then in Christ, God himself came to live and die as one of us, to fulfill the promises of old, to reconcile us to him, the God and Father of all. Our story is that all of God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus our Lord, that in him the forces of sin and evil and death are shattered, that all who believe in him shall not be destroyed by these things, but shall know new life, real life, abundant life now and life to come. Our story is that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ shall come again, and all things will be brought to their telos, their purpose, their fulfillment, the way things were meant to be through Christ Jesus our Lord. That is our story. All of us, wherever you've come from today, all of our individual stories, our story even as a congregation, it all fits within that bigger story of what God is up to, good news. Everything we've experienced, everything we're experiencing now, everything we will experience, it's all under that umbrella of that grand story that has a happy ending, that in Christ, God is redeeming the world. We have that in common. Let us stand firm. Second, let us stand firm through the one spirit. One spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the living God. All who trust in Jesus and are baptized in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit have that same spirit in us. Not a piece in Debbie, and then a piece in Bethany, and a piece in Joel. We all share in the one spirit. There is not one spirit for Democrats and one for Republicans. There is not one spirit for white folks and another for brown folks. There is not one spirit for men and another for women or for the haves and the have-nots, or one spirit for U.S. citizens and another for the rest of the world? No. And there is not one spirit for this side of the church and another for this side of the church. There is one spirit. One spirit here. Sometimes we drown out the voice of that spirit through our own fault in thought, word, and deed, through our bickering and our fault-finding through our overconfidence and our ability on our own to discern and do what is right. But the Spirit remains with us, thanks be to God, truly uniting us to Christ. We could have no unity, no community, no communion apart from the Spirit. What might be preventing us from experiencing more of the Holy Spirit here? As a father gives good gifts to his children, so does our father long to pour out the Holy Spirit on those who place their trust in him. We already share in the communion of the Holy Spirit here, and we can pray for more and more to come. By that spirit, let us stand firm.
Third, let us stand firm knowing that we share a common struggle. Paul writes, stand firm, striving together as one for the faith of the good news. Striving together. Guess what? You sports fans get a sports image. It's an image of competing with one another, like an athletic contest. I think of what I've seen of football practices on TV shows, which is the only time I have seen football practices. There's the training dummies, right? So I'm told, I think. The football players kind of throw themselves against that and try to push it, push at it, right? To strengthen their muscles so that they become a wall of players that doesn't break together, that wall. Even when a team scrimmages, when they divide into teams and play each other, it's for a common purpose. It's to strengthen themselves for game time, to grow stronger together, not to defeat each other or get some sort of, uh, I'm losing the word, some sort of advantage over the others, right? I mean, maybe that happens, but ideally, there's a common purpose, is to be a team, a good team together. I think at times in the past couple of years here, it's felt like we were two or three different teams with diff struggling for different things. And even if you weren't part of that maybe in this mix, out in society, it is happening for sure. There's us versus them kind of all over the place. And when that happens, when the stakes feel high, it's easy to start to treat the other team as the enemy that's to be opposed at all costs. Now, Christians, we have an enemy, but it is not the other team. Our struggle, our common struggle, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the principalities, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Maybe the church in Philippi struggled to remember that as well. Because they too were facing pressures from within and from without. Within, their disagreements, their bickering, natural human sin. Without cultural pressures, false teachings, maybe even some persecution for real. So Paul says... Don't strive against each other. Strive together as one. What is it that we are to strive for, and what is it that we are striving against? We are struggling for the faith of the good news, and what is that? This is part of what our confirmation classes are exploring right now. What is the shape of our faith? What is part of our faith and what is kind of an accessory? Because there are many things we want to struggle for that are not part of the faith of the good news. In fact, whole epistles are written to churches doing exactly that. We always need that gut check to see if what we're struggling for is aligned with what God is struggling for. We're struggling for the faith of the good news. Again, that story that we talked about. We're struggling against sin. And first of all, against the sin in our own lives, because that is the only personal sin we really have the power to address. I have noticed in myself, as well as in others, but I'm trying to speak for me, that in times of struggle, it becomes really easy to fight against the sin in other people's lives. I see exactly what you're doing wrong, exactly what you need to fix. But that is not my job. It is not my job, nor yours, to fix sin in others. It is my job to focus on myself first. Now, occasionally the Spirit will use us to point out sin in others, right? But we better take Jesus' words about the whole plank in the eye, our eye, versus speck in someone else's eyes really seriously. 
we are struggling against sin, and first of all, our own. We are also struggling, truly, against the evil one. Although we kind of keep in mind that mostly that is God's fight. God is fighting that battle, and Christ has already won it. At the same time, we struggle against the evil one in a real way when we root out personal sin in our lives. We struggle against the evil one in a real way when we disrupt cycles and systems that keep the sin and abuse and everything that degrades and destroys life going. This is one of the evil geniuses of evil to realize, hey, we can set up a bad system and it will just keep going. It's awful. We struggle against the evil one, but we struggle not out of fear, but out of love. Fear is really natural because I might know that the other person isn't my enemy, but they might not know that. <laughs> they might want to keep fighting at me. Paul assumes the Philippians have genuine opponents. Fear is natural, but it crowds out love. Paul writes about boasting in Christ Jesus. What's that about? It's not arrogance, but confidence. And he writes, don't worry about them. You will be saved from them, and that by God. A little earlier in this chapter, Paul writes these famous words, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. We have a common struggle together, one vineyard in which we work. It is a struggle for the goodness of the good news and against sin and evil and every kind of havoc that it wreaks in the world, a struggle together to be worthy in the Spirit, worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ. So let us struggle, not against each other, but on the same side in the Holy Spirit. And finally, let us stand firm, sharing Christ's perspective on our common suffering. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. One of the themes we'll see in Philippians and indeed throughout the New Testament is that being a disciple of Jesus means being united with Christ, being in Christ, sharing his story, sharing the fruits of the resurrection in our life, sharing his communion with the Father, and also sharing in his sufferings. Now, what does it mean to share in the sufferings of Christ? Does all suffering fall into that category? Well, as we have a common struggle, so we have a common suffering. Because if you've ever been to the ocean, you try to stand firm while the waves get you, that's hard work, just to stand firm. Standing firm while sin and evil and human opponents try to break us down is hard work. It might not look like hard work, it is. Your muscles will ache from all of that standing firm. We will suffer as we struggle against sin. There's no way around it. We will suffer as we struggle against spiritual darkness. We will suffer as we struggle to share really good news with people about that story and have to face that some people won't want it and some people will reject us because of it. Sometimes we will suffer because of our own foolishness and sin. The pain of remedying that and struggling against that is also a sharing in the suffering of Christ. 
Here at Redeemer, I truly believe that the big picture of our suffering of the past few years is a sharing in the suffering of Christ. Not all of it. Some of it was human stuff, right? But there has been darkness that needed to be brought to light. There has been sin that needed addressing, including in us who are still here. We are groaning because we are sharing in God's own hard work in the world of refining and purifying his church, of making us worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ, of making all things. It's the groaning. Bringing all things into conformity with his son. That is God's work, and it's hard work. Suffering is not the greatest evil in the world. Evil is. As it pushes against us from within and from without, as we follow Christ and stand firm in him, Christ is present with us, for that is what he came to do. We can know the mind of Christ on our common suffering. Let us seek him, know the joy of his presence with us, even in that suffering, and stand firm. So, as it turns out, we have some pretty major things in common. We have a good foundation for calm unity. Calm, calm unity, calm unity. I'm having a hard time saying it right now. Common union with Christ, calm union. We have a common story. We have a common spirit. We have a common struggle, common work to do, and even a common suffering with a common savior. So, my brothers and sisters, in the power of the one spirit, let us stand firm. May it be so, O Lord, in me. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.